Good evening and welcome to the Rissington Podcast. Oh, we'll just, right. go. We'll just go. Do we even need to introduce? <laughs> I'm not going to do the big shouty start this time. No, because you nearly gave me a heart attack. <coughs> Let's just go straight into it. Yeah. Hello. 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 <laughs> so, is this Christmas or is this New Year? This is uh, this is New Year. I think. Yeah, by the time it goes, think... there's no point putting it out now. It would be on holiday. And it's not very Christmassy what we've got planned. No, and after the election. I'm not feeling oh, very Christmas. Oh, God, no, no one's feeling Christmas after that election. Well, unless you voted Tory, in which case you'll be very happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, so, yes, this is a more New Year flavour. Yeah, so Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. And on we go. Housekeeping. Uh, we use Zen Internet here in the office as our uh, internet provider. And they sent an email uh, saying to us, um, now... Your IP address is connected to being used as a denial of service attack on Jeremy Corbyn's website. Gosh. And um, could you please sort it out? Otherwise, we're going to suspend your account. So we immediately started looking at, you know, who's got all these ports open. Yeah. It was me. Oops. <laughs> it was me because I've got a Mac Mini, mm. which is my Plex server. Oh, and just for ease, because he got it, it kind of, you know, it makes a sort of humming, buzzing noise, you know, you kind of don't want it, or under the telly at home, you want it. Yeah. In the office where IT things, you know. Live. Live. Um, so, because, I mean, this is probably quite embarrassing, um, I tend to sort of open up all the ports and things to try and get it to work. Yeah. Um, because often it wasn't available outside the network, so... Uh, apparently, there's a particular exploit which I'll put a link to in the link in the show mm. notes, uh, which uses uh, Apple Remote Management. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't think it was installing anything; it was just using that to bounce um, requests to the website to do this denial of service Gosh. attack. Gosh. So I was a bit kind of ashamed, really, to have found out wow. that that was. And you think, well, who's doing that? Because that's. Yeah. You know, that's a concerted effort to... Conspiracy. Yeah, to bring down Corbyn. And that's kind of, especially now post-election, where basically the thing I'm hearing the most is that people are saying, oh, I couldn't vote for Corbyn. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't fully understand And you just think, why? Well, you why? Unless you were living in uh, Islington, you weren't voting for Corbyn. But no, well, <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. This is the common misconception. Yeah, but... Oh, dear. Yeah. So I did feel bad about that. But you sorted it out. It's a lesson learned. I've sorted it. I just turned it off. Yeah. So what the whole <laughs> Yeah. It's, just like, it's a simple thing. It's just <laughs> not have it, have it working. Gone back to your old, uh, your old fifth generation iPod. <laughs> um, and actually, there's one more bit of housekeeping I'm just going to do because there's a link that I think would be quite interesting to share, which is uh, it's two links. Mm. So uh, the person, the engineer that works at Spotify, I've forgotten his name. I should have written it down. Um, who basically creates algorithms and genre names mm. for lots of genres. And he's created this website called everynoise.com where you can see all the weird genres. Mm. So if you've done Spotify and you've done one of these end-of-the-year report things where it's unwrapped and you say, you know, you're top five artists and mm-hmm. your top five genres and you have weird things like chamber psych. Yeah. You think, what the hell is that? Yeah. Now... I was very sceptical and thought a lot of it was bollocks because I listened to a chamber site playlist and it basically seems to be just about anything, you know. Yeah. I couldn't see connections. But then there's an article on Medium um, where he explains why they do this and mm. how actually artists can fall in and out of genres. Okay. It's much more fluid. Um, and it was interesting. I don't necessarily agree with what they're doing of... But it's trying just an interesting to, take on... Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, like, the year when Dan used my Spotify account and we had Filth Step as one of Lovely. the <laughs> top genres. <laughs> you can finally go in and find out and then you can click into these genres. Yeah, and understand what it, yeah. yeah, it's, it's mm, really interesting. That does sound interesting. Yeah. Fine, well, let's jump into... Thoughts of the week, thoughts of the week. Thoughts of the week, thoughts of the week. This week I wanted to do a big contrast to the last font, which mm-hmm. was Inter, mm-hmm. which was very, uh, very nice UI specific. Yeah. This one is called Infini, so yep. it's, it, and it's the, kind of the opposite. So it's a calligraphic sans serif typeface. Mm. Now I'm going to have a bash at pronouncing this desi- the designer's surname. Yeah, it's one of French. those moments. Okay. And oh, 
I have no idea. I did try and find out yeah. how to pronounce it. So Sandrine Nuge. Okay. I think. Right, it's definitely Sandrine. So uh, she's a Paris-based uh, graphic designer. And she did this uh, typeface for the Centre National des Arts Plastiques. Okay. National yeah. Centre of Plastic Arts, I guess. Mm. Um, and it was released as a free download and the Creative Commons license Indeed. in 2015. I'm just looking at it. Nice. So it's similar to a font called Albertus, mm. which is uh, I think constructed back in the sort of 40s, 50s. And I would very much think of it aesthetically as like a 1950s font. Mm. Um, it's, it's calligraphy. It's got this thing called incised stems where it's sort of angled. Yep. Um, but I kind of think of it as much as like a stone cut thing. So you kind of mm. imagine, I can imagine it being sort of cut into stone. Um but it's very interesting, and mm. I, I particularly wanted to pick this because it's well. First of all, it's a it's a quite a good size family that's free, but also it's uh, a nice contrast to current trends. Mm. So if you were trying to do something that was deliberately fighting against the kind of generic norm, yeah, this would be the this one. would be a good one, I think. Not a body text though. Uh, body. I've seen it use body text, and it can work. Yeah, but as long as it's not too too mm. small, but yeah, I would say, you know, particularly big headlines, it's a good mm. yeah, it's a good typeface. But nice. yeah, it can work as body too, so nice. um, is that free again? Lovely for that. Yes it is. Yeah. yeah, so it's all under CC license. But um if anyone could correct me on the French designer's name, that would be great. Yeah. Well, I have no idea. Nobody's gonna correct us. We always mispronounce everybody's name. <laughs> it's N U G U E. So as as Nuge. But yeah. And that's me, though. UX Technique of the Week! Ah! Okay, so UX Technique of the Week. So probably every UX designer ever has heard of this one, so I've copped out a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to mention it, because I have come across a few people who haven't uh, ever heard of it. No, I, um, must have, I don't think I have. So the Affinity know. Diagram, mm -hmm. or the KJ Method, as it's sometimes called, which always sounds to me a bit like not getting pregnant, pregnant whilst you're doing your UX. <laughs> Um, so it's. I will link to an article rather than go through it in too much detail because mm -hmm. um, Jared Spool's written an excellent article. Um, but the headline is a group process for establishing priorities. Mm. Essentially, what you do is you set a focus question, and then people put single answers on a lot on a post-it note, and you generate lots of answers. And then as a group, and the key to it is, as a group, you work in silence and sort those uh, answers into themes. And then you give it, you give the theme a title, and you re reach a sort of consensus that way on whatever all the data means. And then you can vote on those themes, and that's your sort of priorities. So, oh, yeah. examples that I've used it for. So I've I've bastardized it as ever, and I've seen other little research papers where people are using affinity, the process of affinity diagrams to sort qualitative data, basically. So an interesting one I did was a massive software company. Um, they had. A particular product and there was a sales lead generation form on there and there was a, a text box of so you could just free text oh, yeah. so we took 12 months of data from those free texts to find out because the point being it was a sales generation qualified lead form but we were quite interested to find out what else is going through that form because people don't ever use forms the way they're supposed to they do it for all kinds of things so we took all of that data and then as a group we sorted that into themes. Um, you don't talk to each other when you're doing that either. That's the other bit I like about it. You'll, well, there's always one person in the room who will sort of take, dominate the conversation, dominate and take things. So it's a good way of getting group consensus without anybody, anybody leading. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the focus question essentially, if we were taking the data out of that form, was what are the sorts of things people are asking for via this form? And we found out it wasn't just lead generation for first time sales. It was I need some support or how do I activate my demo and all of this stuff. Mm. So from that data, we were then able to go, well, there's things we should do on the website that when people are contacting that we can route them off and say, if you're looking for this, go this way. Mm. Um, so it was really good for that. Uh, another example I did, I work with, you know, Historic Futures. Yeah. Sadly, no longer. Yeah. It was very difficult, but they did, um, they were doing supply chain software, very complex mm. um, very complex project but I helped them organize a little mini conference of about 80 to 100 people 
and we asked the question something i don't document anything well but it was something along the lines of what are the barriers and issues to good supply chain management um, and that resulted in thousands of data points so it can be really powerful mm. um, i felt really bad because we couldn't sort it within the time right but um for <laughs> fortunately an academic was there from the university <laughs> oh, i love affinity diagrams he said but yeah they take weeks to organize so uh, but that yeah. was really powerful because tim the the ceo of the company was able to stand up and say as we can see supply <laughs> chain is very complex um, and that was nice because that's uh, direct user input and then the final example was uh, work for a rationalist association and they are they do a magazine and we were repurposing their website and getting it uh, up to date so we would i can't remember exactly the focus but it was along the lines of what do you expect from your magazine and where should we be focused but we put that out on twitter as well and so we had a load of tweets that we put into the mix and that was interesting because then you got a bit of users and a bit of business and that sorted into some interesting themes and helped us prioritize you know the things we created functional functionally um, but also the content that they were prioritizing and surfacing more mm. so so it's a very powerful technique if you haven't heard from it but i, I suspect most ux people have well i haven't so yeah. again i'll have I'll be learning yeah, it, from it's more that exploratory side of generate a question get some group consensus going um, particularly useful when you've got stakeholders who in larger organizations where you've got lots of stakeholders yeah. all pushing for different things <coughs> sales guys have got their remit marketing so yeah that's because uh, i was going to ask you about that was mm. then are there any uh, instances where you wouldn't use it and in, in a sense the historic futures one might be an example in the sense that because the affinity diagrams take so long to yeah it was the process and that would that was still a good use that was an excellent use case for it it was just um a sense of we couldn't sort it there and then on the day because that would have been the day gone yes so they took yeah. all the post-it notes back to the office um, and sorted so that there. still happened yeah. and yeah, yeah so there's a, but there was just such a huge amount of mm. data I think there's you have to pick I don't know it's quite setting a focus question as a let's write some answers to this is good whether mm. you get enough data out to sort it um, is the question uh, yeah and, I do like the especially like the aspect of not talking because I've not necessarily just for this but that idea of just writing it down because the dynamics within a group yep and that's so complex in the way that people either dominate or copy or you know feel the need to fit in and say something that fits yeah. in with that that current dynamic so that's what it yeah. works really well for I've, I've found in the past at various places where you've got more junior members of the team and you've got very senior members of the team in the same workshop it gives those junior people who might be a little bit fearful of making a mistake mm. saying something stupid or just wanting to agree with their boss or whatever, either. so it fixes that. It really and presumably anonymous as well, is it? Well, the, the act of sorting, if you're doing it uh, on paper, mm. means that nobody really knows who's put what where. Yeah, um, and it's, the, it's not a requirement that anyone yeah, and people, like you can take yeah. You can take um, answers and move them to different piles um, without asking and without discussing, so you can mm. just go. So it brings out everybody's thoughts on what the themes ultimately should be, but yeah. because there's quite a lot of you it's quite really interesting yeah, yeah. anyway I, I love that it's one Ooh, of my favorite it's, it's a beauty it's one of my favorites yeah and it's a great way to sort out sort of qualitative open text data mm. so i will link to that and presumably also like um it, a good way with with people you don't know yes you know if it's a your first time meeting with people and you know you're not really yeah. aware i of have i mean i'm not going to mention who but i have done it once where it went badly and descended into arguments oh right so there's a real so the the thing is there is a facilitation technique to getting people to shut the fuck up and do the <laughs> which that's pretty much my technique <laughs> <laughs> is it a large blunderbuss it's it depends on the people in the room right some people just play along and go with it and then other people will de almost determine not to so and i've, I've only ever have had that happen once where we couldn't get a sort done because it just descended into but it was a bunch of academics. Oh, which is uh, interesting. Surprising. Yeah, I was kind of picturing a David Brent bringing his guitar. No, in no, no. I don't have clients like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for your lovely questions. Uh, so this is good old Richard Luke. Hello, Luke. Hello, Luke. Uh, who asks? Besides a family, of course. Pro-level cookering, 
I think that's you. And scholarly cheese research, I think that's also you. Uh, and testing, that's me. Uh, what sort of hobbies are you two involved in to keep your sanity? Mm. Uh, there are lots of digital folks exploring their crafty sides these days. So for literally, Luke, it's um, uh, leatherwork and what he called oddbus sketching. So he's got his um, VW camper and he um, has lots of ideas for how to change the interior. I don't know if you've mm. seen his sketches. They're beautiful sketches. Mm. They're really nice. Those one of those people who can do those proper like architecturally yeah. interior design sketches, and his leather work's fantastic. Yes, because I asked him for a link to the leather work, yeah. and it was uh, incredible. Mm. I was like, seriously? I think I think I, I love any kind of craft where you can see people go the extra mile to do things really well, really mm. neatly, and ah, just amazed. I mean, mm. I follow another leather worker. This guy. Um, uh, in Australia, he calls himself Busy Man. Mm. And what he does, he recovers bicycle saddles for people. Oh, wow. But obviously, because you're getting your, you know, a custom cover, people get all sorts of things done into this. So mm. things like punching holes into it and then having another coloured leather underneath uh, okay. that then changes. So you get the kind of the your gradient going through the perforations in the leather. Nice. And all sorts of weird embossing and things. So, I'll have to put a link on. Oh, yeah. It just, I, I, I got a thing for leather work. Mm. I've never been had the skills to do it, but I, I really yeah, appreciate no. them. Yeah, it seems like hard, a hard mm. thing to do. Yeah. What are your hobbies then? Well, I just wanted to address the pro-level cookery. I don't actually do that as a hobby. I'm more of a, <clears throat> I'm more of a family cook yeah. now, really. I don't do yeah. wine. But you have, I suppose, uh, yeah, I think it's that thing of you have been a pro cook in the Past. Yeah, that just makes me an absolute twat. Chef, yeah, yeah. An absolute twat in the kitchen, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but then that is something that you've. But it's not a hobby for you. That's that's not something that you do to. No, I'm trying get away to. from all. It's because you have to do. Yes, well, I have to do it. You have it's to plan for yeah. cooking for a family, and and I'm trying to turn that into a bit of a hobby to pave a bit of a cow path, really, and make mm. it see if I can. So I've talked to you about maybe podcasting and writing down some of these things. I'm trying to think, John, what my hobbies are. I'm not sure I've got any, which is a bit sad, really. Let's say you've got no, because you've got no free time, which is exactly what we have at the moment. Mm. Uh, let's say you have got free time, mm. uh, no kids, no responsibilities. Yeah. How would you spend your time? What would be the thing? Oh, good, I can do this. Yeah, and that's where I'm feeling a bit sad. You're not a hobby man. <laughs> well, I, I possibly I would. It's if I had no, if I didn't have to go to work and no mm. kids, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably go travelling. Is the truth? Yeah, it's something I never quite got round to doing, which I deeply regret. Is I would travel, walking, walking. I'm starting to do a bit more walking than I used to. I remember yeah. years ago we did that big walk of the Mulvans. Yes, yeah, and I've been I've went mountain walking for a while, which yeah. I quite enjoyed. So yeah, that that travelling, walking, looking around mm. would probably be my thing. I creatively, I'm not sure. It's really hard to. No, it's a tricky one. I think it's because I'm I'm generally so busy with working kids because mm. I have a lot of kids. It's yeah, that it's the, I'm not unhappy. It's just when people ask you what are your hobbies, it's like oh, I don't know. <laughs> don't get time for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got no, no time for them. What about you, John? Um, well, likewise, I don't get a lot of time. Mm. Um, I mean, I mentioned the birding before, mm. and I tend to get like you know, like a, a, out of a weekend, you think, oh yeah, I've got an hour spare. Mm. I'll just go somewhere really quick to get to really local mm. and just spend an hour and that's that's lovely obviously i'd love to spend a whole weekend doing it but yeah. that's just not practical you just can't do that kind of responsibilities but um so yeah that but also uh sketching mm. so one thing i've done this year which i haven't been doing for years is actually doing part-time sketching and painting mm. and it's all on the ipad pro just for i think i've seen some of your stuff on instagram partly for inktober as well I yeah, yeah. inktober stuff which yeah. is actually proper ink on paper stuff mm. um but just noodling on the ipad pro mm. very relaxing and especially I, like this time of year when it's dark really early mm. and you know you can't you can't do birding at night unless i've got an x-ray camera so yeah i used to paint when i was younger mm. and, and i used to love it I wasn't very good at it, but I used to do it anyway. But that doesn't matter, does it? No, well, that's that is the point. That what I'm getting around to with hobbies now is it's okay to be shit at it. Yeah, that's just part of the pleasure. So I do. I make a bit of music occasionally, but not anything that I would ever put out. But that's probably a tiny hobby. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not really hobby necessarily, but there's a really good quote by Brian Eno. Mm. Remember, he was on the Adam Buxton podcast. Mm. And he said that art is anything that you don't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> you nice. know, yeah, and when nice. you think about all the things you have to do, like mm. cooking yeah. for the family, you know, for example. Yeah. Um, but if there's something that you can do, like, you know, dancing or walking or something, mm. it's something that, yeah, you don't have to do this, but it, it kind of releases you, I think, a little bit. from. Mm. And that's what I've got to work on, I think, being so busy is you tend to stop yourself because you're like, I'm not going to be any good at this and then it's going to be frustrating. So going through the pain of how do I get better at it? Mm. But you've got to just do it and go, it's shit. Yeah. and that's fine I enjoy doing it I've got so many garage band things stacked up it's yeah. like, listen back to it it's like that is shit but, <laughs> but I really enjoyed doing it yeah So, but the process of it makes you feel better at the end of it than you mm-hmm. were at the start yeah for that's sure that's the key thing isn't yeah. it so probably, yeah. it's probably one of those things we'll stop recording and be like oh yeah do this as well yeah, yeah. but I, I don't have any crafts I think, I think yeah. I think Luke set the standard very high with his leather yeah. it's like yeah. if you're talking hobbies like that nope <laughs> Well, like Lee's so, found, the, you know, the, the craft of her choice with yeah. pottery. Oh, we have to put a link to some of and, her stuff. Um, it's incredible. It just, you know, just seeing, like, interest in the last year, how mm. much, you know, each pot getting better than the last mm. and just getting that kind of, there's a real, her own style. and it's There's some stunning stuff, I yeah. have to say. And again, it's for her, she loves the process, mm. you know. I mean, it's, it's a weird one because it's really messy, yeah. you know. Um, it's just and very physical as well, but. Just reminding me of a, an old colleague when I was about twenty-four or something. He came, he came storming into the kitchen on a Monday morning. He was like, "I went to a glass blowers at the weekend. I think you'd be brilliant at glass blowing, John." <laughs> <He's> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, random. Yeah, like Mister Enthusiastic. But, but I've also ever since thought, I wonder if I would be any good at. But yes, yeah, that sort of. What was he saying? Was there the sub- I, subtext I have there? No idea what the subtext was. You've got a good pair of lungs. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that was a good one. Uh, so Nathan Pittman. Yes, so nice. we're saying we don't know our regular listeners, but oh, uh, I know Luke, actually Nathan Pittman. Yes, yeah. all very regular. Two very. I mean, and, yeah. from way back in the day. Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, and I think we answered some of Nathan's questions last time as well. So Nathan, keeping us going. Uh, when you were a kid, what was your dream job? I wanted to be an automotive designer. Yeah. So that's the first part. And. What is the job or client you really wanted, which just never quite came to fruition? Bonus points for naming the organisation you'd most like to work with if you could pick. So let's break that down. John, let's do so a dream when, job. When you were a kid, yeah. Yeah, well, I can be uh, really uh, quick with that one. I wanted to be a guy called Matt Irvin. Mm, okay. So Matt Irvin was a visual effects designer for the BBC. Mm. And when I was growing up, there were lots of documentaries about you know how... Um, how these effects were done in Doctor Who, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, cereal yeah. box and a bit of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crunching, <laughs> um, stamping around in mud. And, yeah. yeah. But um, basically, as I saw it, what they did was make lots of spaceship models mm. and blow them up or film them landing or flying or oh, okay. whatever. Um, and it, so whenever you saw that in like Blake 7 or Doctor Who or whatever, it was probably massive. And, mm. and I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I want to be. Thank you. And how come that didn't? Well, I kind of wish close. Right? Well, I'm not necessarily making spaceship models, but I kind of wish now actually I'd gone back and and done more on the modelling side rather than illustration. Mm. I think that would have been been nice because I, you know, did the youth. I was a geek playing plastic kits and yeah. you know, games workshop models and things. Um, so I love that kind of making small things, but also making architectural models and things. I'd mm. like to do that, but. Um, yeah, never, never did sort of do anything with that, but that was my that was my dream job when I was mm. growing up. Yeah. What about yours? Yeah, again, I'm rubbish at this, but I remember wanting to be an actor for a while, oh. which it does not suit my personality at all. Really? So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it does. But <laughs> okay. Um, and then, obviously, when I was a little bit older, I wanted, to, as I've mentioned before, I wanted to be a sound engineer, but never quite worked out how to do that. Yeah, well, you're kind of doing that now, though. Yeah. Not for pain. No, 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 let's not, make, let's not talk about that. <laughs> I have enough trouble. I better say the actor thing. You, you've got the temperament for a really well-known actor, haven't you? Well, I could have been the proper alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, dead at 24. Yeah. Yeah. Oliver Reed is what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know. Bad boy. Play all the gangsters. But, you know, yeah, doing it with passion. Well, you know, it's not too late. Maybe I could be, uh, maybe I could be a baddie now. Yeah. Any, 
Well, if you kill David Harbour, you could always, you know, take yeah. over his life and... Yeah, uh, that'd be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second part is, uh, what is the job or client you really wanted, which just never came quite to fruition? Bonus points for naming the organisation you'd most like to work with, if you could pick. Yeah. So... Do you want to go first for that one? Or uh, have you got anything in yeah, mind? Client you w- wanted, which just never came to fruition. I mean, there's been various, I can't think of particular names, there's been various projects where I was like, oh, it's a shame that didn't work out. Mm. Um, I mentioned the Rationalist Association earlier. They were a lovely client. I really enjoyed that job. But um, like most charities, didn't have enough budget to keep going and had to mm. choose their focus and said, Do you know what, we're going to veer more towards our print now. So that came to fruition, but... And the, the site is still standing, but I'm endlessly frustrated with what we had planned and never were able to mm. uh, do. And as for you know, bonus points for naming an organisation you'd, li- like you'd most like to work with, I can't think of a single organisation, but I don't know about you, but as I've got older, the kind of projects I like to take on, I want to know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to add some value to the world in some way. Yeah. I'm not super fussy. Mm. but I'm not so ethical that, and I think we're going to talk about this, but yeah, I want to know it's not just frivolous and that there's adding some... I totally get that. Mm. And that's one reason, like, because for years I've done a lot of logo designs for mm. startups. Mm. Um, for some of the things, because you think, oh, God, no mm. one wants this. Yeah. No one in the world will want this. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel in any way worthwhile mm. what, you, what you're working on. Um which is partly why this way this year I've been working with uh, the American charity Resolve to Save Lives, doing something where I feel, yeah, this is going to be something useful in the world. This is going to be something mm. that people want. Yeah. Um, I've used in a, the past example of people like Apple, mm. you know, because as a designer who loves Apple products, mm. you'd think, oh yeah, I, I dream job would be to work for Apple. Mm. And I think actually no, I don't think it would be. Yeah. I think it would be they've got good designers. Mm. They don't need me. I don't think I can make much of a difference. Mm. But in the sense of like working with Resolve to Save Lives, they you know they had one designer. Daniel Burker was the only one that was working oh, with them. Just just the one designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> Low standard designer. If you're gonna have a, yeah. if you're gonna have one designer, have a good one. You know, but you know, it's um so there's that thing of you know you, there's so much work that needs working on that you know you can actually make a difference. You mm. can actually improve the standard of all these things yeah. and the communication level. So yeah, I mean that's um, that, well, that's true for me as well with what I'm doing at the moment. So it's not quite as radically um, direct as yours, but I'm working yeah. with um, a group, a charity called the Audience Agency, and mm. they're all about um, helping arts and cultural organisations. They're not all about this, but essentially, the motivation for me is it's about empowering people to go and see art and experience art and culture. Mm. Um, and they do they do so much stuff for free. You know, it's all, all mm. this beautiful data that's available and helping people utilise that data to attract new audiences, make their businesses more resilient, um, which I love. And I just think art and culture is so important yeah. and has such a positive impact on people. Oh, totally. It's, I mean, that's the thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's life-enriching stuff. Mm. Yeah, which well, you know, once you save their life, you've yeah. got to then enrich yeah, it. Then so. go and enrich it yeah. <laughs> so I think the answer for both of us is that actually, although we couldn't pick a single, I couldn't pick a single organisation who I definitely want to. Mm. You seem to be living the dream, John. One right one, now. <laughs> one that was quite funny actually, because he did mention uh, any job you client you wanted that never came to fruition. Mm. There's one job I'm thinking of where uh, I collaborated with Clear Left. Mm. And <laughs> I just thought it was quite a funny. One. I wouldn't say I was desperately wanting it, but it's um, anyway. So it's there was a, a shop in London called Coco de Mer, mm. and it was run by Anita Roddick's daughter, mm. Sam Roddick. And the idea behind Coco de Mer was it was basically a sex shop, mm. but instead of like uh, plastic vibrators mm. that would give you noxious yeah. toxins every time you. Yeah, you know, pop, popped it up. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was uh, an artisan-made vibrator that didn't yeah. poison you. You know, that's the kind of extreme example. But there was all sorts of things in that industry yeah. that were wrong. And her point was that she was trying to do things ethically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
selling spanking paddles, but they were made by an artisan craftsman in Mongolia, you know. <laughs> so we kind of thought, well, why not? This yeah. looks really interesting. And actually, visually, I had this kind of Aubrey Beardsley kind of oh, okay. look in my head, this yeah, kind of very yeah. black and white. And I thought this could be really funny. So uh, we had the meeting down in Brighton at Clear Left. Um, Clear Left did some IA work, mm. um, looking at competitors, you know, a bit of time yeah. on this. Um, and it was quite funny because Sam Roddick basically spent the whole meeting uh, saying things to shock us and then looking around to see if we were uh, shocked. Okay, yeah. And, you know, everyone was very, um, you know, very professional about you it. You were Everyone was saying, you know, like, oh, this is for spanking with. I thank you with Okay, yeah, I'm right. Making a note about that. Okay, yeah. Very good. Good point. Um, and then as soon as she was gone, everyone went... <laughs> laughing like schoolboys. Brilliant. Um, but that didn't come to anything. Yeah. It came to a lot of... It was one of those clients where it was a lot of work up front mm. before you could even get a deposit or yeah. contract or yeah, anything. You know, but because you kind of, oh, I want this job, it could be interesting. Mm. You put that time in and then got burnt, you know. Yeah, I suppose my one isn't anywhere near as good as that one. But um, I did work at Canonical, who do mm. the Ubuntu OS. But I ended up on the web team. Um, that's not quite how it played out. Anyway, but I applied for UX on the operating system. Mm. But couldn't get on because I had no experience in that. Right. So that was disappointing. Yeah. But then it was really nice that they were like, well, you're no good for this right now, but why don't you come and join the web team? So oh, okay. So the web team was offered after you tried to... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got back in touch and said, yeah, yeah not the ARS, you don't have the experience we need. But So that was disappointing, but also awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Were, you, were you pleased with the result of that in the sense that... Yeah, yeah. It oh, wasn't yeah, what was, you applied for. I was ecstatic. Wanted, that was a brilliant place to work. Absolutely yeah. incredible experience. Yeah. Just some such smart people. I'll talk about some of the UX things I learned there. Because mm. um, the head of UX was an anthropologist, and she was absolutely brilliant. Gosh. Just amazing. Wow. So I'll put some in the UX mm. techniques, of, uh, probably next time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, I like that one. I like all the questions. Yes. Oh, yeah, so Pete Lambert and Adrian. Adrian! Sorry, I have to say that every time. He said he did add, if you must, though. Uh, yeah. Know, he and him. Uh, <laughs> it's just that there's certain phrases like the word basmati rice. Yeah. I always think of it in a Scouse accent. Yeah, but it's basmati. Basmati rice. It's basmati, isn't it? Basmati. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it's just one of those words. Mm. So what has been your favourite design trend in the last 15 years? And that's Pete's question. Mm -hmm. And then Adrian's is the most annoying recent design trend. Things like hamburger menus, generic websites with blobby cartoons, indulgent brand redesign. Yeah. Okay. So what's uh, your, your favourite design trend in the last 15 years? Well, I have to say, John, as a minimalist at heart, mm -hmm. I have not been particularly upset to see the demise of skewer morphism. I quite like yeah. simple sites, beautiful typography. Mm. So I think typography has been my, although I've struggled with it yeah. personally because I didn't have that background, that's probably where it's been at for me. Mm. I mean, I think that's also been affected by the fact that we have got, you know, better mm. web fonts and better, you know, font yeah. face embedding. Um, but I'm totally with you on that, mm. actually. I think that actually answers both questions. I yeah. think it's that lack of, I remember the, the days when people were starting to add things like, you know, coffee rings on their website. Yep. There's that look of like, this is a desk with some newspapers and papers. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about my CSSN garden entry and going, oh my God, that's <laughs> awful on all of those levels. Horrendous typography, horrendous. <laughs> but yeah. then one of the things I really liked was, um, I think it's the Kirby default theme. Yep, which is... This is what you use. Mm. And it's just that kind of simple, clear, readable... Yep. No bollocks. Yep. I think, yeah. as everything with design, there's going to be reactions to things. So, as things have now got into this the very flat minimalism, mm. uh, there's going to be a reaction to against that in some way. Well, Might not the be... whole um, brutalist web thing, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, that totally. Was really, and I remember some people going, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, no, this is quite cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is it. So I think there's always that kind of, you need that reaction to what the current thing is. Mm. And I don't think that means skewmorphism coming back. But mm. yeah, brutalism is a really good example. I think I always think with design trends as well, and this probably is slightly weighted because of my time at a marketing agency. I think design trends are fine for sort of semi-disposable marketing sites that are going to come and go. Yeah. If you're building out a product, though, 
Yeah, I prefer you, to go you for... You don't want to be yeah. considering trainings in any way. Well, cause, yeah, because you're going to get out of date very quickly. Yeah. So you've got to look for that space. But actually, one thing interesting there is that one of part of Adrian's question was um, part of the annoying design trends. Uh, brands redesigning with Helvetica. Mm. So Pinterest is one example mm. where they've taken their lovely, scripty, you yeah. know, unique logo type and they've just done it for Helvetica. Um, and that's definitely a thing I'm Does, against. Is there are practical implications to that. Do you ever suffer with, because I do, mm. now when you go onto your app screen of your phone, you can't find anything because it all looks the bloody same. Mm. It's, uh, everything's white with a little blob of colour in the middle. Yeah, it's like, the classic one is blue, isn't it? Blue yeah. and white. And it's like, well, I can't find anything. So that uniqueness mm. has impacts on, on the UX of things as well, yeah. I think. I think so. There's a, there's a pub in town, actually, called the Blue Boar. And they used to have this, it was, you know, it was just Gil Sands. Mm. And it was that, you know, uppercase, quite generous letter spacing. Um, so it just looked classy. Mm. You know, it's a really simple thing to do, but it just looked, it had that kind of British aesthetic and it was classy. And now they've uh, changed it to Helvetica, mm. lowercase, but with the same letter spacing, which just right. doesn't work. It doesn't you know, yeah. just looks ugly. Um and it, it, I don't know why they bothered to do that. You know, why spend that money to change what was a, a clean, clear brand? It, it communicated what kind of place they were mm. to this, which is like just nondescript. Yeah, you know, and so. it just looks wrong. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, another. I got that question again. Well, the most. I think it's very much yeah, annoying I, things. I think other annoying things for me. I'm just trying to think now. I mean, it's, if you're talking pure brand. The plinky plonky guitar with drums for every bloody startup marketing <laughs> thing ever. The like, jaunty, yeah. Yeah, ding, ding. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and the other annoying recent design trend for me, which is universal and forever, is uh, the just the absolute misuse of HTML now. And mm. the use that I think people forget that they're, they're not just designing for visual. And it annoys the hell out of me. This reminds me of something actually I was thinking mm. of doing as a kind of like, not a contest, but a kind of challenge thing. Because um, I did it to myself recently where I said, right, I've got a website mm. and all I can do is add styles to the body tag. Mm. Nothing else. Yeah. So what can you do? Mm. And I, so I started looking into things um, elements of HTML like, uh, is it Mark? Yes. To yeah, do yellow yeah. highlighting. Yeah. Um, you know, basically, what? How much can you do? Especially with CSS grid, you can do a lot with. Yeah, yeah. You know, body tag and um, I, the website I made, I can't share publicly, unfortunately, because mm. it's uh, it's yeah. all about a friend of mine and all the crap he says. Oh, <laughs> okay. It doesn't want it to be. Um, well, you could just public have it, knowledge. Have it translated into Latin. So I'll make it. Yeah, I'll just <laughs> do another version that's that doesn't you know, fake quotes and me. But I think there's a real challenge there to look into HTML and use HTML to do, mm. I mean, this is actually quite bad because it's using HTML to do styling, but I just, it, in terms of just learning but it's that HTML elements. There was, a, in the olden days, because now mm. you get a lot of classes added, like multiple, and I get it because they're making it all modular and reusable and all of that stuff. Yeah. But in the olden days, there was the argument that you would target as much of the HTML, and they would, I always used to say we mark up the HTML properly because that's a load of hooks to hang mm. the design off. Yeah. So even just stuff like the other day on the project, I was like, well, we're not using the T-foot element of the table, and if we do, I can just target that directly and change the styling. Mm. And if you use the col group, I can target that and style it that way. So I think, although I get why classes are useful because it's that modularization and reuse, Yeah. what's been lost has the understanding of the markup. Mm. Yeah. And... Um, fortunately, my project is very open to it's got to be accessible. And it's for me, you know, back to the point of annoying design trends, that is design. It's just designed for people who are not going to see it visually. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, sort your shit out, people. If you, I'm just talking to a friend on uh, Twitter, direct messages, and I was, you know, rallying against the whole notion of full stack and how that never plays out to be true. And mm. he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, I'm just battling with something. This I'm not going to say too much, but, you know, yeah. he, he was rallying against this idea of, you know, people have just forgotten about the front end. Yeah. It's, uh, they yeah. don't care. I mean, all those years of, well, not so much the web standards, but the accessibility parts. Yep. Just seem to go out the window. Well, it's up to us as a movement. If, yeah. Uh, because 
native apps will take over. It's a bit like a metaphor for politics. Just yep. when you think you've, you know, the world's getting better and yep. more caring of each other, it just gets more extreme right wing and mm. uh, yes, yeah, the battle's constant. Anyway, uh, who's asking this oh, one? I've lost my track. Uh, you asking this one? It's me, isn't it? Uh, so it's Anthony Casey again. I think a regular listener. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly sure Anthony's around. He's been on the social medias. My daughter starts secondary school in September. We've had the can I have a phone chat for years, but now feels like the time to cave. Do you have any tips for how to handle what feels like mm-hmm. passing her a loaded gun? Yeah. Well, so it's we're talking from you have teenagers. I have mm-hmm. teenagers. I also have a three-year-old. Yeah. So I've got that coming. Mm-hmm. So what's been your tactic? Well, we started off uh, secondary school, yes. Mm-hmm. And actually we prefer them having some way of contacting yeah either contacting us or us contacting them obviously yeah. not during school time but you know yeah um because they're they're walking by themselves to school and back mm. you know i we, we prefer that uh so we they started off with really sort of simple dumb phones mm-hmm. um and then but then this was you know some time ago so when did when did samantha start um secondary in 2012 mm. so smartphones been around for what four years mm. So they're expensive and you couldn't get sort of second-hand ones as cheaply mm. as you can now. So that's the first thing I'd say is go for one, obviously, that's because it's going to get broken or mm. stolen. You know, buy second-hand and yeah, cheap as possible. Oh, I have to say, I'll mm. come back, remind me about a second-hand. I bought my son a brand-new phone for 100 quid and it's incredible. Oh, yeah. yes, I did that too, but mm. mine was shit. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, <mine> was good. <laughs> um, the other thing we we definitely did was uh, that they don't keep their phone in their room overnight hmm. and this is partly because of cyberbullying yeah and also you know over or misuse hmm. um, that all the phones had to be downstairs charging visibly yeah um, you know is that still true now? not anymore no. no no not for a few years now but hmm. you know in those early days we didn't want them we wanted to be to have a complete break from the phone yeah so that if you know if anyone was sending bad messages mm. um and the other thing was knowing all their passwords yeah that was the yep, yep. definite kind of you can have this and we will let you have certain apps yeah uh but we have access to those so that we can monitor mm. interestingly i used to do um so i'm all very similar to you to start with although mm. i caved with dan my youngest he's not my youngest anymore at the time mm. he got his in year six of primary school because he was everybody else had one yeah I didn't do passwords, but I did random inspections. Right, yeah. I will pick up your phone. I'm paying for your phone. I will mm. pick it up and look through everything whenever I feel like it. Yeah. And that was just that bit of freedom, but mm. the risk of, mm. yeah. But no, I think as I know that there's, I can understand that reaction against having a phone, but, mm. you know, the amount of times that we've, they've needed to contact us for some emergency or... It's, it's been worth it. It's obviously not very many times, but every time mm. it's been. I've, I set up a few. So I've had. So the random inspection's been one for me. The I've tried all the uh, family filters and stuff, and you just end up mm. spending your time allowing them onto websites that are perfectly reasonable. So I've had yes. conversations yeah. about um, only follow your friends on mm. social media. And come and talk to me if you're in. If people are, I've basically had the conversation about internet grooming, mm. all of those things, yeah. uh, pornography. I've, mm. they don't believe me anymore. But I used to tell them uh, that I was able to see via my computer all of their activity. Yeah. When they were younger, and they believed it. Router logs. Yeah, I can yeah, see yeah, everything. Yeah. You know. Um, the the flips. So I've had a couple of other things we've used the phone for. Because my kids go out on their own quite a lot. Mm. Dan cycles. So he's, yeah. So I've said, all you have to do, if I send you an X, mm. I just need you to send me an X back. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. The other one I've had, because my boys have been, they're good kids, but they've been some troublesome. And it's usually peer pressure that gets them. And I've said, if you're, if you need to get out of a situation, mm. text me very specifically, hi, dad, because they never do that. Right. So that's my yeah. cue. What time do I need to be home tonight? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I will text back and say, I need you to come home now. So that's another to have finding little codes that they can mm. use um, with their friends that isn't obvious that we can give a 
a response to that says I've got to go. My dad yeah. says I've got to go home is often quite useful. Mm. So, yeah, I would say the benefits outweigh the negatives. Mm. But I, I think like you, I mean, now they're my teenagers. They're um, yeah, they're pretty much free reign. Well, obviously, Samantha, yes, yeah, Josh. I mean, yes, for, years, for years, for yeah. years now, they've they've not yeah. had you know they've had their phones in their rooms. But it's that initial setting up of good habits. It's having the conversation as well and make, helping them. And mm. you've got to be prepared to have the brutal conversation and go, just like out there in the world, there are some bad people on mm. there and you could yeah. see some bad things. Yeah. Um, totally. I mean, this is it. It's, you can't, you know, family filters and all these sort of things, you know, they'll, they'll get around it. Yeah. They, or either, either, either deliberately <laughs> or, you know, yeah, I accidentally. It's... I mean, the way, you know, filters just don't work. No. Well, um, and also you, you ruin your own life. So we've thought about, you know, switch the router off. It's like, but I like to watch iPlayer in bed. <laughs> I'm not switching yeah, the fucking yeah, router yeah, off. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's all about that, having the conversation. The, the hard one I found was having the pornography con mm. conversation. But it had to be done. Yeah. And I did threaten the PowerPoint presentation with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's the expectations of, what you expect your body to look like, what you expect the you know girls' mm. bodies to look like, um, how this isn't real, this is being done for money, yeah, um, because it's going to be seen, mm. but you, and it's not about necessarily about stopping them seeing it, it's just understanding, but understanding yeah. what it's there, why it's there, and not building up false ex expectations yeah. in the world. Yeah, definitely. I th I think my my my. The key successes, I've had some disasters, but so I've, I've had a £700 bill for texting. I had... Ouch. Yes, I'm still paying that off because I told the phone company to go fuck themselves and they were like, well, we'll just send the debt recovery and I was like, fucking send them. I'm paying you minimum as long as possible. But let's not go down that route because I was so cross with them because mm. I've been with the phone company for like 15 years. Yeah. It's like, you guys are unbelievable. Um, and the other one was uh, I had a, one of my son's uh, signed him out up for an eBay account without me realising and spent some money he didn't have. So eBay were on the phone going, um, you owe us some money. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's, commerce is one to be careful of. And yeah. especially if they've got bank cards. Um, we do have stuff like Amazon Prime as a pin before you can purchase and things. Mm. Um, but yeah, the codes, the codes for using it if you're out to help them get out of social situations, random inspections. Yeah, that's I good. I think those are the key things. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and just having, keeping the conversation open. Mm. But that's the general parenting thing, right? It's, yeah. I've always tried to... If you close everything off, that's just going to... And it's a difficult thing. You know, I've had my boys are my boys, and they'll come home and say, blah, 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 blah. It's like, right. Yeah. Deep I, breath. I didn't want to know that. Yeah. But <laughs> now that I do... Now that I do, <laughs> if I get crossed with you... Well, I remember when I was a kid, mm. having conversations and then get absolutely chewed out it's like well fuck that then i'm not going to tell you anything yeah so exactly that's yeah it's going to be completely secretive from you yeah. and i think yeah yeah it's a good question it's a tricky one but yeah do it talk have a few ground rules yeah it's, it has to be done though yeah it, it's and just I one of those things thoroughly agree with you on the uh, uh phones out of the bedroom when they're younger Mm. Even if there's no cyberbullying, it's just light shining into their eyes. Yeah, do just not sleep. Can't sleep because yeah. they've been, you know, too stimulated by screens. Mm. You know, but it's a problem I have. You know, you, oh, I'm a complete hypocrite. Yeah, yeah. I just live right. on my phone at night. And yeah, get through all my documentaries. But yeah, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> going. Why can't I sleep? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we wrap this up mm. and say thank you very much for listening? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we will return. Shortly. Yeah, we're not quite sure what format it'll take, but it'll, it'll have a, a format. Yes, we may try multiple formats. Yeah, we might try and you know, shake it up a bit. But if you've listened this far and you have a question, silly, or a topic, yeah, send it in. Send it in. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye.